Hi, 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 everyone. What the fuck is going on? Hope uh, everyone is doing well. It is a bright and sunny morning here as we are recording on February whatever the fuck day it is today. Hold up. Hold up. The 27th. February 27th. What's up? Uh, This is Josh. I'm your host. I use she, her pronouns. Um, Like I said, it's a bright day. I'm looking directly into the fucking sun, which is oh so lovely. Uh, (laughs) Driving on my way to work. Today we got a a doozy for you folks. Uh, Looking forward to this. I just finished the Groundings with My Brothers by Walter Rodney recently republished by Verso Books and the Walter Rodney Foundation by Patricia Rodney and the uh, eldest daughter of Walter Rodney. Um, It was a a really, really good book. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Very short, 107 pages, uh, including like the the introduction and the uh, commentaries at the end. Um, and I, you know, I, (laughs) I'm a fucking note freak. So I took down, you know, a bunch of quotes and a bunch of, uh, names and a bunch of, uh, especially like historical events and stuff like that. So I could look into it in the future. And so I felt, you know, I've not really dove into a book in a while here on the show, and I think this is a very worthwhile uh, one to start that up with. Um, I would suggest everyone pick up a copy. It's on sale right now on Verso for like 11 bucks, um, so definitely check that out. Um, again, this is produced with the uh, participation of the Walter Rodney Foundation, Patricia Rodney, his wife, Walter Rodney's wife. Um, and their children among with supporters and friends and comrades. Um, so this is like the official version I would suggest buying because the money's also going to go to the Walter Rodney Foundation. Um, but for folks who don't know who Walter Rodney was, um, Walter Rodney was a Guyanese political activist. He was an organizer. He was a university professor at a certain point, a history teacher, um, but he was also, of course, a father, a husband, a friend, and a revolutionary. So, in the 1900s, the end of the World War, Second World War, um, is when Walter Rodney and other Guyanese and Caribbean students workers, uh, pressed peoples began to become yet again extremely politically engaged. In 1938, a hundred years after slavery was quote-unquote abolished, there was a large uh, continuous uprising that started with certain strikes and student movements um, that was put down violently by the island police. Um, many of whom were 
either black or Indian officers used to, of course, further develop the racial uh, discrimination and inequality within Guyanese politics, or I should say within Guyanese society. Um, So, of course, Walter, among many other people of his generation, was brought into political life through a pretty consistent nationwide struggle. Um, Similarly to a lot of us, you know, who see either different campaigns or different fights against police violence, against indigenous uh, oppression, against the climate catastrophe, a lot of us, you know, have issues that particularly... encourage or motivate us to get involved. So Walter was a student. He was going to school. He was playing sports. He uh, ended up getting a scholarship to go to university to study. Um, And throughout this time period, of course, he himself is uh, reading and writing about history. He writes a piece about the uh, racial divide in Guyanese society um, and about the economic Uh, mode of production that exists in Guyana. But then he goes on later in life to, um, of course, travel around the world. Um, He teaches in Tanzania, in New York. He travels to Jamaica, to the Dominican Republic. He travels to Africa. He goes to Harlem. Um, He goes to a couple different places to speak. Um, to give lectures and to also do what, of course, this book is about, which is what he calls grounding. (coughs) So, basically, just before we really spend too much time on that, what grounding and why it was so important to Rodney was because, well, what it was, first of all, was when intellectuals academics, uh, you know, the intelligentsia, the middle class, goes, or people in general, go and ground, discuss, debate, uh, challenge, learn from uh, other oppressed peoples, other struggling peoples, and especially the the most oppressed and the most uh, exploited of you know, like the unemployed, the quote-unquote lumpen proletariat, the peasantry, the uh, folks who are getting the naked uh, view of capitalism and imperialism. So, the book starts out... uh, with an introduction talking about who Rodney was, uh, why they reprinted this book, why it's important today. And the first chapter starts with an analysis of the Jamaican situation. Um, So they talk about, well, I should say Rodney talks about the racial divide and the character and the history of that racial divide within Jamaica. 
and the slogan of out of many one people which I don't know if that's still Jamaica's national slogan but it was at the time he talks about their false praise for individuals like Marcus Garvey who the Jamaican government would go on to persecute along with the United States and European powers uh, throughout his life that is Marcus Garvey uh, who would become one of the FBI's most wanted FBI, CIA well I guess it's technically before their firm establishment but like the US military and US government's like you know number one enemy but um <clears throat> In this context, what he's trying to point out is the fact that the capitalist system requires a kind of, um, oh, what's that, veil of uh, harmony. And he talks about this more in other chapters as well, but this is the chapter where he really spells out how, you know, for example, like Rastafarians um, and other communities within Jamaican society have chosen instead of, you know, participating in that society to actually try to develop an entirely autonomous existence. He also talks about how Jamaica and other nations like it, you know, require and use imperialist lackeys and, uh, compradors and petty bourgeois opportunists to, uh, you know, instill power but also to uh, further cement and divide the different racial, ethnic, and national groups that exist within Jamaican society. Um, because you had, like, a, a black prime minister, um, and you had black police, and you had black politicians who still would go on to further oppress not only just uh, Africans, right, black folks, but uh, the general population in Jamaica. Uh, he talks about also the, uh, sorry, I'm trying to read my handwriting. Um, he talks about the crime and conduct that uh, leads to radicalization and the, like, quote, riots and the political violence that Jamaicans endure and how that leads to a beginning development of radicalization. He also talks about how Jamaican society, right, in the point that it exists in on the capitalist scale of, or um, uh, line of production, um, it's a dependent nation which exists to provide cheap raw materials which therein leads to stagnation and underdevelopment necessarily so for the ability to continue to, you know, steal these cheap raw materials. He also goes on to speak about the, of course, the movement, the Rastafarians, the importance of them as a historical development and as a cultural group, um, and also the strikes of workers that were ongoing at the time. <clears throat> Chapter 2 is Black Power, A Basic Understanding. He goes on to speak about how in the United States, black power, like uh, Stokely Carmichael uh, and the Black Panther Party would go on to enunciate it, how it developed 
quite strongly and sharply because of the sizable contradictions within American society, within U.S. society, and the experience that Africans in America experienced. But he also talks about the fact that this is a reaction to or a resistance to the consolidation of white power. White power being the capitalist, colonial, and imperialist system that we know today, which originates from and gets the majority of its strength from the European and Euro-American nations. This is important because, you know, in his discussions, which folks should check out on YouTube, race and class in Guyanese politics, and um, he also gives a a speech at, I want to say, Binghamton, (coughs) because he taught there for a while, which is cool, because, like, Binghamton's, like, two and a half hours away, so, and I, (coughs) excuse me, also found out, uh, I think I talked about this already on the show, but Emilcar Cabral, right, um, spoke at and uh, gave a series of lectures at uh, Syracuse University, which is, like, 40 minutes away, Uh, so that's kind of cool. But, so white power, right, is the base of colonialism and capitalism because, and I shouldn't, I, I should say it like this because I don't want Marxists to misunderstand or misrepresent uh, the terminology that I'm using. Race and class have a dialectical relationship. One feeds into the other. And what I mean by that is when the development of class society, when you know, one group of people, especially a minority of incredibly powerful and rich, uh, aristocratic or oligarchical or whatever military rule, right? Or especially property owning rule goes on to oppress the majority through different mechanisms, through different means, right? Uh, for the sake of its own enrichment and further control over the majority. So, in that type of society, there's going to need to be certain tools that are used in order to cultivate not only the social relations needed between the ruling class and the oppressed class in order to uh, continue the system, but also social relations, culture, uh, political power among the oppressed people groups themselves and the divisions and discrimination and inequality therein. So white power, right, is effectively a control over the non-white populations in Asia, Africa, and the Americas uh, by the white populations in Europe. We talked about how the development of whiteness is actually a historical phenomenon and how Europe had previously been warring among itself for centuries. This solidification and consolidation of the European powers that allowed them to colonize the rest of the world is what we would call white power and it is why uh, the uh, enunciation of things like black power is so incredibly threatening to the capitalist system, no matter the context in which it's brought up. So again, 
black, right, as a connotation, as an identity, is developed at a certain point in time when race is necessary as a tool similarly to sex, gender, ethnicity, nationality, uh, economic status and class, uh, religious uh, traditions, etc., as a tool of further divide among the people. So racism develops at a particular historical point where a system is in place that has its pre has is its prerequisite like is the prerequisite to racism that system being capitalism and colonialism but specifically of course slavery slavery was not new to human existence as a lot of people will point out hypocritically however the form of slavery that developed was a particular historical phenomenon that used the power developed within the white European centers in order to oppress the black non-European periphery, quote-unquote, which therein went to mean the rest of the world. It didn't matter if you were an indigenous American in South America. It didn't matter matter if you were Filipino, it didn't matter if you were um, Inuit, it didn't matter if you were uh, African from the Congo or African from Tanzania or African from uh, South Africa, Um, if you were non-white, you were black and that's how white power came to exist because everyone who wasn't black was white. So you have a very strong tool for not only the oppression of non-white populations, but the confusion of the supposed white masses of themselves and of others and their own participation in settler colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, slavery, etc. So, he also talks about in this chapter the difference between, like, uh, white folks in the Soviet Union and Russia that he says don't go on to colonize the non-white populations of the world versus the U.S. and European powers, which do. Um, He also talks about the historical movement that is behind black power and the struggle of (coughs) unpaid workers uh, and exploited Africans around the world since the very days of the, you know, attempted foundation of slavery and then the further consolidation and solidification of that system. Um, He also talks about how black power within the United States, right, is a particular uh, understanding, which then leads him to go on and talk about in his next chapter uh, how black power connects to the West Indies and how it relates uh, to the political, social, and racial situation there. So he specifies that black power in general is similarly to white power. It is the ability of a certain group to not only constructively uh, use power to develop and build something, but also destructively. Um, And this is the basis by which black power needs to be built on because in order to fully eradicate the colonial system 
black people and Africans, indigenous peoples also, Asian peoples, uh, non-white populations around the world have to have power in their hands in the same way that the, uh, well, I shouldn't say in the same way, but to the level of strength that uh, can stand up against the white European and Euro-American power and overcome it. Not for the same purpose, not for the same objective. He also points out how, you know, like, black power is not black supremacy. And so if you were to say, uh, you know, black power is racist because it, you know, it denotes that white people generally should be under the power of black people, da 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 da, as if that's not what's happening to black people right now by white people. Um, but uh, they also go on to say, like, uh, you know, it's it's also racist because uh, you know it's like reverse racism or whatever. But Rodney clearly points out in this chapter, as Stokely Carmichael and others historically around the world have pointed out, uh, that black power. Uh, in a revolutionary sense, in a socialist sense, in a national liberation struggle, is not supremacy or imperialism or oppression or exploitation, but it is the ability for a people group who has been historically denied the ability to control their own destiny, their own means of production, their own labor, their own resources, their own political system, the ability to do just that. And in West Indian society, right, in the Caribbean, um, in Guyana, it is particularly a question that becomes complicated because of the... uh, complex racial uh, development that took part in uh, Guyana. So you have a majority of the population, which is African, uh, which would be considered black, um, who among them also there are Indians who were brought over as indentured servants after the, quote, end of slavery in 1838. Um, You also have the small minority population of Chinese immigrants who came uh, along with uh, the white settler population. And then, of course, among them you have the individuals who might have one parent who is white and then another parent who is Indian. You might have an individual who has an Indian and an African parent. So there are a lot of complex uh, disparities that are used against the Guyanese people and the people generally of the West Indian society uh, to oppress and confuse them about what, for example, black power means. So considering that in this society, Indian people would be considered black, um, uh, you know, folks who have parents of different ethnic and national and racial backgrounds would be considered black. Um, It's really only the settler class and the whitest of the white 
of the non-settler class that get to hold on to that title of white. And of course, we already talked about how white power, colonialism, slavery, etc., existed within, uh, you know, the world generally. But what folks, I don't think I myself even have a genuine enough understanding of, is uh, that the Caribbean uh, was like the epicenter of slavery. It's where Christopher Columbus landed in Haiti. Um, it's where uh, in. Uh, places like um, Guyana, in Jamaica, in Barbados, in um, a lot of the small islands, right, Uh, where some of the worst conditions of slavery, of indentured unpaid labor, um, would go on to be developed with the production of things like sugar in Cuba and in other nations with the production of things like groundnuts, with the production of things like uh, palm oil nowadays, the production of a lot of different uh, cheap raw materials that keep the colonized populations in a subservient and dependent position. So going on here, uh, he also talks about the importance of how African, black, Indian, uh, non-white populations have to understand that they've been taught to think white, to act white, to live white, and they have to struggle against that because, as he says, and as is a very popular slogan, uh, black is beautiful. Um, so they don't, they don't need to, and they shouldn't continue to internalize the, uh, discrimination, the exploitation, and the oppression that African people and black people generally uh, suffer around the world. Chapter 4 is on African history and culture. He goes through some of the early civilizations that existed prior to the development of uh, the European powers that existed during the periods before Christ was born, before um, uh, the Dark Ages would even come and go. Uh, He talks about how Uh, He starts the chapter out with this quote, every human society has a history and a culture. So he's talking about how, you know, African people are consistently told that they are like a people without a history, right? Indigenous people, oppressed people around the world are told they are people without a history um, because it's the Europeans who stole it. Uh, So he talks about how Africa is the home of mankind how these different civilizations developed at a period of time where, uh, you know, again, Europeans didn't so much as have written history to know about what was going on, let alone have the ability to find out because they themselves were going through one of the uh, biggest death sentences of their uh, entire historical development. He also talks about how because it existed before Christ and had, uh, you know, kingdoms that were quite sizable that were trading around the world. It is, in fact, important to understand how the development of things like Christianity and Islam and Judaism really connect to and have a history in Africa. Um, But also that African has, or Africa and African people have their own um, 
religious traditions, cultural practices that uh, at this time were extremely predominant, where in fact, you know, in the periods when uh, the Ethiopian kingdom existed and the kingdoms in Sudan or what would be known at the time as Moro, um, of Kush, um, and of other, uh, you know, smaller societies, uh, Christianity and Islam had not penetrated yet. But in fact, the only real Abrahamic religion that existed at the time was Judaism, and the majority of religions were African traditional cultural practices, which are commonly referred to as, quote, voodoo, but are so as, so expansive and different and, uh, um, regional in a lot of ways, have their own, uh, context which they developed in, similarly to religions around the world. So, he finishes this to talk about, uh, the fact that African people shouldn't look at this in order to look back, but should look forward and use the uh, you know, strength and the, in, uh, intellect and the, uh, organizational, uh, ability that the kingdoms of Ethiopia, of Sudan, of Egypt, and, others uh, have, uh, had in the past. And also a little random note, um, he points out how there's, like, a phrase about Timbuktu being, like, this really far away place, right? Um, it's like a turn of phrase. But at the time, when a lot of these civilizations existed, Timbuktu would have been one of the biggest trading hubs in the world. Um, and it would have been on every map, which is crazy to me because I have no fucking clue where it is. <laughs> um, the fifth chapter talks about how African history connects to the Black Revolution. He talks about the different types of social and cultural practices such as hospitality and collectivity are uh, central to and uh, entirely a part of African culture and history and have to be, you know, incorporated into the struggle and into the organization of the movement. He also talks about how struggle and resistance against white power and against colonialism is also a part of African history. He talks about some of the different movements that happened in uh, Guyana or were happening. He talks about some in Jamaica. And he also talks about some in the United States. Um... And he connects these, importantly so, for the point of showing that African people around the world are struggling and fighting every single day, um, not just in one place, not alone, ever. Um, And then he also talks about, in that sense, of course, the necessity of the unity of African people around the world uh, in whatever ways are possible, while also upholding and understanding the differences and the importance of the differences between the different African populations that develop historically around the world and them holding on to their character and their uh, history and their cultural developments. So the last chapter and finishing up here as I pull into my job uh, is Groundings with My Brothers, chapter 6. So he talks about his ban from Jamaica, the Jamaican government banning him and uh, refusing to allow him to come into the country. Uh, He also talks about how this uh, ban is a part of the uh, apparatus of white power, even though it might not be actively being uh, controlled by just white people. Um, He talks about how, again, 
harmony, this uh, out of many, one people slogan, and the slogan of racial uh, equality among Jamaican people, uh, among people around the world, is uh, absolute myth, and it's a lie used to uh, course over the discussion of race, the discussion of class, because if one goes on to believe that the world is equal, that there is, in fact, no inequality, no discrimination, no uh, suffering of one people group over the other, um, then one does not have any reason to talk about color or race or discrimination or class. He talks about how, again, racism as a development, as a historical tool uh, in a certain period of time came to exist and why it's important to understand that in its historical context in order to fight against it because ultimately it is a structure that was developed by the white power class and so therefore to uphold it or to continue to practice it is continuing to practice and uphold white power. Um, he talks about middle class lifestyles and how cars and homes are sold to the African people as luxury items to convince them to sell their sisters and brothers. He talks about how it's important to learn from and with each other and how humility in the service of the people is important, especially as the intellectual class, as those who are educated, who are conscious, who are aware, who are able to do these things, how important it is for us, especially uh, people in a position like a university position or in a well-paid job or, oh wow, sorry, this was a bad move. Um, or also just in a situation where they have the ability to speak openly and clearly to uh, other struggling peoples among them, uh, it is important that they do so because otherwise not only are they worse off than, say, an ignorant person who doesn't know or a person who doesn't really understand but takes advantage, uh, but they are in fact aware, they are conscious, and they are in a position to do something about it. And so the intellectual class, the intelligentsia, the uh, petty bourgeoisie has a job if they truly do want to pretend to lead the revolution and to be revolutionary, to commit class suicide and commit themselves to the service of the people for the sake of revolutionary overthrow of the class, economic, and racial system as it exists today. Um, but that's it, folks. That's a quick summation. I'm sorry I went bullet point through bullet point uh, and maybe talked a little too fast for folks. If you have any questions or any comments, please send them over my way. But there have been many other programs who have covered the groundings with my brother. Uh, you can check out. There's two episodes on Walter Rodney from the Groundings podcast. Um, and you can also check out stuff from the Walter Rodney Foundation. You can go on YouTube and see some of Walter Rodney's speeches and some videos about him and uh, a couple documentaries. Uh, and you can also check out a couple other black power activists like Stokely Carmichael um, and uh, Kwame Nkrumah and Amilcar Cabral and some of their discussions and um, uh, learn a little bit more about the overall situation of the African struggle and uh, black liberation today. So all power to the people, uh, of course. I hope you folks enjoyed the episode again. 
please check out other episodes from other podcasts and YouTube channels that are far smarter than me. But also get organized, get active, and get mobilizing because we have a revolution to win. So I'll talk to you soon. Peace, love, and socialism, y'all. Bye.